0: Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our Sermon Cast for Holman Park Baptist Church. Last week we looked at the parable of the sower, where Jesus, He taught us about the different responses people would have to the teaching and the preaching and the proclamation of God's Word. And we know that because at the point this was written, the New Testament was still being lived. The New Testament was still being fulfilled. But at this point, Jesus was telling them that to grow, we would have to stay in God's Word. And for them, it was the writings of the Old Testament. So to get a clear understanding of the setting that, that this is happening, and I didn't show you this last week, but I want to show it to you this week. To get a clear understanding of the setting, Jesus was teaching in a small cove called the Sea of Galilee which formed a place called the Cove of the Sower. Now, as you can see, this is a picture of Galilee, and there's that small cove right in that indentation. Most scholars believe that this parable was taught within that cove. And if you show you the next picture, that's what it looks like on the ground. And so you can imagine Jesus teaching on the shore. And the people listening to him and listening to this parable. And it is believed, you talk about a miracle. uh, I I enjoy uh, trivia and I enjoy sound uh, information as far as technology and microphones and PAs and, and amplifiers and guitars and all that stuff. But it's pretty amazing to know that because of the layout of that cove there, it was believed that anywhere from five to seven thousand people were there listening to Jesus without a microphone. Jesus knew even where he needed to be to teach because often you would wonder why Jesus would go out in a boat and teach to people on the shore it 's because the the water amplified the voice of a speaker. If you ever tour and you see maybe some of the old theaters that they would have where they would do the the Greek plays and whatnot they were constructed they didn't have sound systems but the sound you could whisper and somebody else on the other side of the colosseum could hear it but this was a large seaside concert where there was no sound system but the people could hear everything so today we look at the follow up to the soil which is the parable of the wheat and i want you to imagine yourself On this shoreline, in the Sea of Galilee, in this small cove, as Jesus is teaching, does your heart long to hear what the Savior says? Could today be the day that he opens your eyes to the meaning of these parables? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for what we've experienced to this point in worship, Lord. And I pray as we read your word that it would not return null or void, and that, Lord, you would teach us inspire us and motivate us not only to give our lives to you but to live for you as well Lord and to share it with others for it's in your name we pray amen so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13 starting with verse 24 if you have a a smartphone or or a, a device like that we are on the Bible app under the events tab you can get the the notes there as well or to be on the screen Verse 24, chapter 13 starts with Jesus saying, Here is another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted the good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. So they asked, Should we pull all the weeds out? They asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. So let both grow together until they harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles and burn them. And put the wheat into the barn. So there's the parable. That is the, the story. That is the illustration. That is what Jesus is trying to communicate. He has got a, a heavenly message with an earthly story in this parable. And he defines what he's saying in the next few verses. Where we go back and we go down to verse 36. Verse 36 says, Then leaving the crowd outside, Jesus went into the house. His disciples said, Please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. I love it how the, even the disciples said, Look, tell us what you mean. Well, Jesus replied in verse 37 the Son of Man, which is the name he gave himself. When you see the Son of Man, Jesus is emphasizing the fact not only that he was 100% divine as the Son of God, but he was also 100% human. He had a body that felt the same things your body felt. He had a heart and emotions that felt the same thing that you felt. And so he says, The son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one and the enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world and the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and buried in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will remove from His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. And anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand so what we see here is that Jesus did not sugarcoat the message. He was saying, Look, I will tell you exactly what it means. And there are a few things that we can walk away with today from what he explained to us. The first thing we see is that only true Christians will experience God's kingdom now and forever. Only true Christians will experience God's kingdom and now and forever. Because, again, these parables are about God's kingdom. About the kingdom that we hope to to experience one day, but also the benefits that we have in living with Him and for Him on this earth. Now, before I lose you, I, there's a. Any of y'all ever heard of Bailey Smith, the evangelist? He was real big back in the '80s. Well, anyway, he would go from town to town, and he would go in the high schools. And he, his his last night sermon was based on this passage, and it was called. The, the Sermon of the Wheat and the Tares. And he basically made it out to where, are you a wheat or are you a tare? And I think that we all need to look at this passage today and decide that for ourselves. Because in verse 28, we see, believers, you need to wake up. And I need to wake up. We have an enemy. We are at war with the devil It's time for believers to wake up and recognize that there is an enemy among us. Folks, there is a snake in the nursery, not literally. But there is a snake ready to pounce on your family, on your children, on you. There is a snake in the proverbial nursery. Or as some of you farmers used to hear, there's a fox in a hen house. But folks, we are at war. And there is even this morning as you got up, I'm sure that there was that temptation to hit the snooze button to roll over and say, well, you know, I just can't do it. You know, we got some other stuff to do today, while others, they can barely walk, but yet they wanted to be here today. Not because I'm great, not because the church is great, because God is great. And we experience his kingdom when we are together and the devil does not want you to do that. Some of you did not experience demonic resistance until you drew the line in the sand and said, God, I'm going to live for you. The moment you do that, you are a target and a mark for the devil. But that's okay. The devil can only touch you to the point to which God allows Because God's hand is upon you. And so we see that Satan is more real than you think. And he is working against you, your family, your community, and your world. In verse 29, we see that you don't know what's planted until it starts growing. As we saw in this parable, Jesus said, look, you know some of us wonder why God doesn't do a flood and just wipe out everybody and start over again. That's not what he wants to do, because he doesn't want to wipe out everybody. He wants to judge the good and the bad and and, and honor those that love him and punish those who don't. What you see in this parable today as harmless... This little sin that you allow into your life, this little sin that you allow into into your browser history, this little sin that you allow to come into your lives and off your tongue and before your eyes and and in your heart, this little thing, it's just a little thing that, that you say you haven't handled. It's growing among what God wants to do in your life. They're growing simultaneously. There is good and evil in this world. And so the small, chase, the, the small choices that you and I make today will be the ones that we will be judged by later. Yes, the small choices you and I make today will be the ones that we are judged by later. But we have been conditioned for that. We know that we can go out and we can buy whatever we want and pay it for later. We could lay it away. We could put it on credit. Or we could just claim we're bankrupt and just walk away from it. We just want what we want. That's not the way God wants us to live. It's just living from want to want. We've been conditioned to just make our choices and not worry about it later. I don't know about you, but... We've got several young boys in here. that And and between the nursery and us, we've got some young boys. Those of you that are parents of these beautiful young little boys, what would you do if he brought home a baby alligator he found in a creek? It could happen. It could happen. What are you going to do? You going to keep it? They beg you, he's such a cute alligator. It's so cute. Look at his long little beak. and He's so cute. Can we keep him, please? Maybe you could buy it a collar. and Maybe, maybe you could walk it down the street and teach it to fetch. Maybe you could even let it sleep in the bed with you. I don't know. <coughs> but I guarantee you what? Eventually it will grow into something that will kill you. Don't let sin alligators into your family. They look cute. They look harmless. But they will grow to the point. They'll take you out. The truth of this parable is that there are false believers among us. You may very well be in the sanctuary today, or maybe someone's listening to this sermon online, and you may be a wheat Someone who is a genuine believer of God or a tear. Someone that has grown up in the church. Someone that's got a great church attendance. They've got a great title. They've got a great position, but their life has never had any life change. Never any sign of conversion. How many of you like to pull weeds in your yard? I know Patsy does. She does. If y'all need weeds pulled in your yard, just call past She'll come over and do it. She'll do it for free. She just loves it. But many take great pride of the yard. They try to get yard of the month. And they pull up weeds from flowers and bush beds. Because, you know, if you let the weeds grow, they will take the nutrients that are needed for the plants. And they will overtake those plants. Folks, there may be something in your life that's choking out and overtaking what God wants to do in your life. So my question to you and my question to me is, what are you letting choke out your faith? What are you letting choke out your faith? Is it the convenience of doing what you want to do when you want to do it, not having anybody tell you what you need to do? Is it the fact that you're young and you'll live for God when you get older? Is it the fact that you've lived for God all your life and now you're just ready to take a break? I don't know. It could be different for different people. But bottom line is, if you, if you boil it down, if something is choking your faith out, it is sin and selfishness. How is it affecting your relationships and your marriage and your fellowship with others and your service to God? It broke my heart the other day to hear another story of a good friend of ours to where one of them in the relationship decided they didn't want to be married anymore. They just woke up and said, I'm I'm done. Does that happen overnight? Now, Now, look, I'm not judging anybody that's broken up. I'm not judging anybody that's been divorced because I know it happens. But this is the second couple now that we know of that grew up in church, that were the godliest couples we know, that have said, nah, one of them said, I'm done. Now, I'm not casting judgments on them or anybody else that's in that position because there by the grace of God go I. But I will tell you this, it didn't happen overnight. Little things became bigger things, which became bigger things and bigger things And bigger things. Folks, the faith community is not immune to sin. It's not immune to marriage troubles. It's not immune to addictions. It's not immune to depression. There is just as much that in the faith community as there is in the secular community as well. But things were allowed to come into the relationship that choked out the work God was doing in it. It was slow. It was subtle. And it was devastating. So, my friends, in your relationships, in your marriages, in your relationship with your children and your grandchildren, if there are little weeds that you've allowed to grow, I beg you, I plead you to deal with them now before they become too great. There's something called the lure of lesser loyalties. What causes these weeds to choke out what God is doing? If you look throughout history, you will find those whose faith was once red-hot and sincere, just like yours might be today. But somehow their once vibrant faith was choked out by thorns to where nothing was left but the question, how in the world did I get here? How many men of faith and women of faith do we have to read about that fell morally? And people would say, I had no idea. We all know that these thorny weeds don't take over overnight. Rather, they grow small, and they come in subtly. They force us to compromise. It's nothing loud and obtrusive, but it's just that still, small voice that tells us to compromise. There's a a Dr. Richard H. Shum that had a description for the temptation to choke out our faith. He called it the lure of lesser loyalties, which means that like thorns which choke out healthy plants with small, patient growth, the lure of lesser loyalties can suffocate what was once a simple and solid faith. Bottom line is this, folks. Weeds choking out your faith comes from the small daily decisions to love sin and self more than to love God. That's what chokes out faith. The small daily decisions to choose your will over his will. And you won't know his will unless you are reading about what he says that is in his word. Last but not least, we see that there will be a day of reckoning. I don't do it often, but I got to go into the good old hellfire brimstone preacher right now. This is, this is the text that says Jesus himself is written in red. These are his words, not mine. If you got a problem with what I say, you got a problem with him. He said in verse 40, Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will remove his kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. <clears throat> and the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and a gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Anyone who hears should listen and understand. (coughs) Excuse me. Let me show you a picture. This is a picture on the left of a young stalk of wheat. And on the right you have a young stalk of the weed, the tares. They look very similar. Very similar. One could almost not tell the difference between the two. But in this picture, I mean, do you see the comparison, right? They look mighty close to one another. So when it comes time to harvest the wheat, and there are these weeds within it, let me give you an example of how it would happen back in the day Jesus wrote this. They would gather everything up, and they would go to... What they would call a threshing floor, which for, for lack of a better term, would be a big circle, hard pad made of some type of mud, concretish type thing. And it would be on the circle and this harvester would stand in the middle of it and he would have what looks like a big garden rake, but it would have some forks on the end of it. And so there would be the pile of the wheat and the tares and he would stick that winnowing fork in it and he would just in a circular motion. Do it like that. And then what would happen is the grains of wheat that were in that would, because of their weight, would fall to the bottom. and then they would scrape up all the grain and that would be what they harvest. But the tares, they were weeds, they did not have any grains of wheat in them, and they would just blow off into the breeze. That's how they separated it. So when you hear Jesus talking about the flesh, the threshing floor or the winnowing fork, the harvest, the separation. What was true would fall to the bottom. And what was chaff would blow away. They would gather it up and throw it into the fire. Jesus is being perfectly clear here. There's no, I wonder what he's saying here. Right now, the wheat and the tear are allowed to grow together. Right now, as we live, as you are hearing this message as you are hearing His Word proclaimed in this world, in this church, on your pew, in your life, God is allowing the real and the fake to grow alongside one another. <coughs> <Excuse me. coughs> there has never been a day that has been more important for us to share the gospel because Jesus will come back. And there will be a judgment. And my fear is the hardest person to reach is not that person walking down our streets. It's not even that person in the ivy halls of colleges that are saying there is no God. The hardest person to reach is the one that has been in a pew since they've been born and never know Jesus. That is the hardest person to reach. The person that claims to be a Christian, but their lives give no fruit. To bear to that witness. I'll end with this. You need to know your status, folks. As we approach this passage, you and I need to know our status. It is more important than ever that your relationship with Jesus is secure and not based on your religious activities or attendance. Folks, there is an adversary that seeks to distract and disrupt God's working in your life and in this church. Do not let your love for people and things pull away or pull you away from what God wants in your life. Make sure today that you have a relationship with Jesus, not just a religion. And finally, be sure today that on one day we will all be judged. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. And it is my prayer today that we not leave or go one second further before we give someone an opportunity. If they want to know for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are a believer, that they are a wheat, that they have a relationship with you, then I pray that today they come forward and we will make that crystal clear. But we do have many in here that are sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are a Christian. And I pray that you be with them and allow them to look at their lives and to begin cleaning out the garden of their life from the weeds of sin that they've allowed to come in. So, Lord, I thank you for this message. I thank you that, Lord, if anyone responds, Lord, you will get the glory. You may come forward. You may pray where you're at. You may want to join this church or just have a prayer need. Whatever it may be, would you stand and respond? As the Lord leads, would you please stand?